things we are forced to name. Chapter 11 Alpha Centauri Crowley clambered back onto the bed and threw himself out of Aziraphale's window, landed hard in the snow, ribs screaming from the impact, and the sudden agony of it froze him, made him retch violently over the snow, empty stomach seizing, just trying to get the pain out, the involuntary contraction of his muscles only serving to make it worse. And he didn't even care. It didn't matter. Nothing mattered. He just had to get away. Had to go right this fucking second. He was breathing too fast, head spinning as panic flared bright and sharp in his chest, because what the fuck had he just done? What the fuck had he done? He clambered over the wrought iron fence none too carefully, and the sharp pain in his side he got for it felt right, felt like penance, was almost in the right spot to cover up the ache that he could feel growing inside him, the hungry black thing that had already started to eat away at him, that was clawing at his insides. He needed to get it out. He raced through the silent, snowy streets, skidding around corners and throwing up slush behind him, careless and reckless, and where could he go? Home was right out, his dad would definitely still be hanging around, and he just didn't have the energy to deal with that right now, the gruff apologies and half-hearted offers of ice and painkillers, or dinner, maybe money. Or the even worse alternative, the glassy eyes and snarling mouth, sharp words and sharper hands. Still drunk. Still angry. There was still fucking nothing open. God damn Christmas. Crowley decided then and there that he hated the holiday, hated the winter, hated Aziraphale. Hated himself. He decided he'd make his way back to the church. Maybe he could hide out there and get some sleep, that irresistible tug towards the absolute and pure oblivion of unconsciousness, just a few blank hours to get him farther away from this moment in time, give his body a chance to adjust to this new reality, this new bit of emptiness. Maybe he was ready to pray now, ready to kneel in front of nothing and plead to some absent God for forgiveness, for divine punishment, for something that just wasn't this. But as he pulled closer, he realized there was a slow trickle of people making their way into the church, a thin crowd of colorfully bundled good Christian folk attending late service. And there was just no way that he would be able to sit through an hour-long sermon on the virtues of forgiveness and the pure exaltation of love through God, so he turned his bike around, no destination in mind, just driving away. He found himself pulling into the empty lot of a liquor store, belatedly realized it was the same one he'd gone to that day Aziraphale had told him his dog had died, a thousand years ago, when he'd walked Crowley home instead of letting him drive drunk. 
It was miraculously open, thank God for 24-hour liquor stores, the neon sign buzzing and pulsing, bright fluorescent lighting leaking out into a thick layer that shone through the white glass windows and attracted Crowley like a moth to flame, a beacon that promised another kind of oblivion, a more dangerous, addictive kind. He bought himself a fifth of whiskey, the same kind he'd had that day with Aziraphale, because why the fuck not? Went out into the lot and drank it straight out of the brown paper bag he'd been handed it in, lounged against the side of his bike and let the sense of déjà vu wash over him. Full circle, right? Better than facing reality at any rate. He didn't get more than a few good mouthfuls down before he was getting back onto his bike and just driving, head down, mind a near-blank wash of static, just going, lefts and rights as he pleased, quickly found himself out towards the edge of town, a vaguely familiar bit of road, fields stretching out nearly to the horizon on either side. He pulled over on autopilot, and for a moment he couldn't pinpoint why, and then he realized that the stubs he could see poking up from the snow were wheat, that he had somehow fucking managed to pull up to the place he'd taken Aziraphale on what he would have said was their first almost date, to stargaze and picnic in the middle of a field. He found himself staggering out into it, boots crunching over the frozen stalks. There was no way to tell where he'd flattened out a patch for them so long ago, so he just walked until it felt right, and then he threw his head back, eyes closed against the grey-black emptiness of the sky, stretched his arms out to either side, bottle still clenched in his right fist, and screamed. Screamed like he was dying, like he hated the whole world, like a surrender and a threat at once, and it felt good. Even though his broken rib creaked in protest, even though his arms almost immediately started to ache from being held out at his shoulders. He screamed until he went hoarse, until he lost his voice completely, could do nothing but puff silent, agonized breaths toward the stars, barely peeking out through the clouds, just flickers and tiny patches of night sky coming into and out of view. He stood until he couldn't anymore, until his feet had gone entirely numb and he dropped to his knees, leaned his forehead over to press against the frozen ground. And then he sobbed, quiet, soft, shallow-breathed cries, involuntary, and each one felt like the worst breath he'd ever taken. He felt pitiful, small let the misery find a nice little home for itself in his chest, dark and frozen, and so fucking empty. He cried until he had worn himself out, until his tears had frozen into hard salt tracks on his face, cried until he fell asleep, curled like a comma around the mostly full bottle of whiskey, a tiny punctuation mark in endless grey fields. 
he woke to a clear, star-flecked sky, far enough from any sort of light source that just those tiny pinpricks were bright enough to wash the world in a beautiful and terrible sort of silver, stripping the colour away from everything until the huge expanse of grey emptiness that surrounded him matched the feeling in his chest. And Crowley just curled up tighter, not even wincing at the lance of pain that shot through him. You shouldn't be alive. He knew the cold probably should have got him by now, and he wasn't even shivering, couldn't feel the frigid ground at all, so it couldn't be too long now. He thought of the book he had stuffed behind some of his plants in the living room, hiding it from his father, because after his bike it was without question his single most valuable possession. He thought about his mum and B, wondered where they might be, if they were still as winterbound as he was. He didn't care. Not about any of it. Nothing mattered, and there was not a single person in the world who knew or even cared where he was right now. He had to admit there was a terrible sort of freedom in that thought, the idea that he could be entirely forgotten, that no one would even realize he was missing until it was far too late, and even then, who would it be? His father, if he took a rare jaunt into sobriety, maybe. Certainly not Aziraphale. Not any more. He was so fucking alone in the world, and he was... he was angry about it. He wanted to dig his fingers into the earth, pull it out in handfuls, pound the rage out with his fist against the ground, but it was frozen solid, and Crowley's fingers were so, so cold. He'd lie here a little longer, just a little bit. But his rib ached so fiercely, and he was so thirsty, and he came to the hazy realization that he hadn't eaten since his dinner with Aziraphale's family. Food. That was enough to get up for, for now, and if it wasn't enough later, tomorrow, well, he'd just have to think of something else. Had to keep fucking going, because what the hell else could he do? He slowly made his way back to the road, swung himself over his bike and drove onwards, no destination in mind, just somewhere else, somewhere warm and dry and unfamiliar. He stopped at the first diner he came across, some real old greasy spoon-type place, looked like it hadn't seen a renovation since the fifties. Perfect. Alpha Centauri Diner, the tall, triangular sign out front proclaimed, a hideous retro mix of curly pink and blue letters. And maybe it was because he liked that one, that binary star system, the closest to Earth after the Sun, and one of his favourites, the first stop on a long way out. But the squat little building seemed to call out to him, and he let himself be pulled in by it, grateful for any gravity that wasn't the constant tug he felt towards Aziraphale. He stumbled inside, the cold finally catching up with him as the warmth of the diner rushed to greet him. 
He couldn't control his shivering, teeth chattering like one of those stupid toys dentists handed out, one of those sets of wind-up jaws that would bite its way across a table. He always thought they were hungry, greedy things, but maybe they were just cold. Just cold and trying to get away. Ooh, not everything is a metaphor for your life, Crowley. He was so tired of himself, could barely muster the energy to be irritated at how much he was trying to relate to inanimate fucking objects. Pathetic. He threw himself down into a booth, slumping over the table in exhaustion as his body shook out the cold, was surprised when a steaming mug of coffee was placed in front of him, a tall waitress with shockingly red hair offering him a soft, Here you are, hon. You look like you need it. He didn't even bother protesting or offering thanks, just wrapped his hand around it and breathed in the thick, warm smell that curled off the surface, pulled it in with deep, sucking breaths, uncaring of the painful jolt in his side that accompanied each one. He finally raised the muck to his lips, teeth no longer clacking together so painfully loud. He only meant to take a sip, but he found himself tossing back the whole mug, burning his tongue and gulping down the scalding liquid as though the heat of it might fill up the aching, empty space in his chest. And it did, for a few blessed moments. But it quickly faded, and that heavy, echoing feeling of nothingness was back. He stared down into the empty mug, considering whether or not another cup would be worth it just for those few seconds of relief when he heard the squatting shift of the seat across from him. He flicked his eyes up angrily toward the waitress who had given him the coffee, who was now sitting down across from him, half-empty coffee pot still held loosely in her sharp, poorly manicured fingers. "'You look like you could use a friend.' she said, bringing a hand up to check that her hair was still in place. And I'm on break, sir. She shrugged, refilled his mug, settled herself back into the booth. Fuck off, Crowley rasped out, voice still shredded from the cold and his screaming. All right, then, how about just someone to talk to? He glared at her, but after a minute, he somehow found himself mumbling down towards his coffee. I just... I really fucked up. I fucked up so badly, and I don't know if he'll... if I'll ever forgive me. His breath hitched around an exhausted sigh, and suddenly he had to get the rest of the words out, because now that he'd gone and started talking, they were rattling around in his chest, making his rib hurt. I told him. I said I didn't love him. How could I say that? How could I... He dropped his head into his hands, huffed out an embarrassingly wet breath towards his freshly filled mug. Why don't you start from the beginning, hon? 
And that shouldn't have worked, it really shouldn't have. But her voice was so soft, not even a shred of judgment in it, and Crowley found his lips moving without his permission, and once he had started, it felt like he couldn't stop. So he kept going, stumbling over the words like he'd been pushed at the start, had to keep his momentum up, or he'd crash and burn. His voice faded in and out over terrible cracks, and he kept his elbows up on the table so he could hide his face in his hands, so he didn't have to look at her, didn't have to look at anything but his own miserable reflection, staring back at him from the steaming muck in front of him. He let his mind shut off, let his mouth wander through his problems without stopping to examine each fact to see if it might benefit from sugarcoating or if it might just be better to lie altogether. Shut up, Crowley! Why are you even telling her any of this? She's a complete stranger! But then again, that was what he had wanted, wasn't it? the beautiful anonymity he could claim just a few towns away. He could be anybody. She could be anybody. And it didn't matter, because now they were both sitting here, in this booth, in the middle of frozen wasteland American nowhere, and it was the best that Crowley was going to get. He had started at the very beginning, started with community service and a new kid at school, and he didn't bother to hide the violence of his life, didn't try to make himself look good, because he wasn't good, and he knew that, knew that lying to himself about it would get him nowhere. It was just that Aziraphale had made him feel like maybe he could be good. Maybe he didn't have to stay in the miserable, shitty rut he'd been born into. Maybe there was something more out there for him, if he just tried. He didn't bother to tidy any of it up, just purged the whole messy thing out of himself at once, coughed it up like if he could just get it out, maybe it would stop hurting, stop eating him fucking alive from the inside. And she listened, patient and utterly silent, and Crowley could only assume her eyes were on him, wouldn't dare to look up to see for himself. After a small eternity, he finally reached the present moment, finished relaying the painful few hours he had spent asleep in a field, not too long ago, and the silence that fell over him when he finally managed to stop talking felt like a sheet of ice, heavy and thick and freezing cold. Well, she whistled low under her breath. His eyes flickered upwards at that, just a half-second glance, enough to take in her sympathetic, but still miraculously judgment-free expression. That's a real mess you've got yourself into. Crowley couldn't help the laugh that squeezed out of him, a pained yelp of a thing he never wanted to hear again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big mess. He sniffed, and he wasn't sure when he had started crying again, but his face was wet, and he hastily wiped at it with his sleeve, picked up his now lukewarm coffee, and used it to wash down the tight feeling in his throat. And what are you going to do now? 
she asked, not at all gentle, and Crowley was so glad for it, couldn't bear to feel pity, feel tenderness directed at him, not right now. He didn't deserve it, didn't want it. Dunno, might leave town for a bit, drive somewhere, maybe go to California, get away from the cold. Get away from the winter, from Aziraphale's favourite season. Go somewhere the snow never touches. Uh-huh. She tapped a nail against the side of the coffee pot. That doesn't seem like a very good idea. Why not? He wanted to feel offended, but he couldn't muster the effort for it. Well, the way I see it, you've got two choices, right? She spread her hands out on the table. One, you can turn yourself right back around and grovel on your knees to this boy you so clearly love. And if he loves you the way you love him, he'll take you back eventually. Crowley turned his face away at those words, breath catching like he'd been punched in the gut. He couldn't do that. It would be inexcusable cruel to show up only a day after telling Aziraphale that he didn't love him, could never love him, just to try and take it back, to say that no, actually, that wasn't true, he hadn't meant it. To try to convince him that Crowley was worth another chance, worth trusting again. He didn't deserve it, didn't deserve forgiveness, not for this. Too. She continued, heedless of Crowley's pained reaction. You can keep on running from it, drive yourself all the way to the coast even, and let this haunt you for the rest of your life. Because it will, believe me. He opened his mouth to protest, but she held up a sharp-nailed finger. Listen, hun, I know you don't know me, and there's no reason for you to believe me. But trust me on this, because I know... You'll regret it until the day you die if you let him go like this. Her eyes blazed, and Crowley found himself nodding, could feel her conviction from across the table, and maybe she'd let someone get away from her, or maybe she'd left someone, but it didn't matter, because he could read the soft echo of his fresh pain on her face, could so easily see himself in that future. She wasn't even all that much older than him, and then again, he already knew he'd be dying young anyway. He could see that if he kept going the way he was now, he would end up just the same as her. Working some shitty, dead-end job, loveless and tired and lonely. But my dad, he offered up weakly. Are you going to live your whole life in fear of that man? Because one day you'll realize you're all grown up and you're still living in his shadow and you'll hate yourself for it. Her eyes started to Crowley's left, where he had tucked the brown paper bag of whiskey into his jacket. You don't want that. But his family... Listen, kid, the world is full of shitty homophobic assholes, all right? But the kind of love you've described to me sounds like it's worth it. Would you rather live your whole life waiting for some unknown punishment or take advantage of every damn blessing you've been offered? Look back and only feel regret for the people who couldn't see how good it was for you. 
Doesn't sound like much of a competition, if you ask me. But... If you're about to say you don't deserve him, that he's too good for you, I want you to think about where you are right now. I want you to think about the kind of things you're willing to do to make him happy, to keep him safe, even if it meant torturing yourself. Would a bad person be willing to make that kind of sacrifice? He couldn't answer that, and she knew it. Come on, my break's almost up, and I'm absolutely dying for a cigarette. She stood, waited for him to scoot to the edge of the booth and join her, walked them back out in the freezing cold and lit herself a cigarette, offered him one out of her pack. He took it, let her light the end for him, took a long, deep drag, the burning curl of the smoke so terribly familiar, but it wasn't his brand of cigarettes, and he was thankful that at least there was something different here, something he could latch on to. They smoked in silence for a long minute, clouds of breath and heat pouring from their mouths with each exhale. All right, here's what we're going to do, kid. I'm going to get you a hot meal. You're not going to thank me for it. And then you're going to get back on your bike and you're going to go straight home. You'll deal with your dad, but only if you absolutely have to. And then you're going to take a nice long nap. And when you wake up, you're going to go see that boy and you're going to apologize like your life depends on it. How's that sound? Crowley couldn't speak, just nodded, thought about the brutality of winter and the kindness of strangers. He took one final drag of his cigarette, let the smoke settle in his lungs, before pushing it out in a rush, pitching the butt to the icy asphalt and crushing it under his heel. He took a deep breath of freezing air, ignored the complaint from his rib. Okay. She smiled, discarded her own cigarette and walked them back inside, brought Crowley a menu and a new mug full of coffee, patted his shoulder and smiled. She looked so endlessly tired and Crowley trusted her because of it. Because he could see the marks that life had worn into her and he knew that if there was anyone who might understand how stuck he felt, how trapped he was by his own shitty circumstance, it would be her. Random waitress in a random diner on a random stretch of road. They were strangers, but mirrored strangers, like he'd been meant to come here, hadn't had a choice, really, and now he knew what he had to do. He knew he had to fix it, and no matter how long it took or how much he had to work for it, he would do it. Aziraphale was worth it. It took Crowley two entire weeks to get his shit together. He'd followed the waitress's instructions, or at least most of them. She had gotten him a meal, he hadn't thanked her, and he'd gone home. His father was still there, but he was out cold, sprawled carelessly over his bed, still wearing a jacket and shoes. 
Crowley crept in silently, knew that if he didn't fill the wood stove before he passed out, they'd both wake up freezing and his dad would be pissed. But he found that, once he woke up, all his previous bravado had left him, and now all he had left was the desperate, pressing need to find Aziraphale and apologize, but he couldn't, because it had to be perfect. He needed to get this just exactly right. He'd only got one good shot at it before Aziraphale cast him away forever, snuffed out the traitorous little flame of hope that had sprung up in the new, cavernous space in his chest. Admittedly, he was afraid to lose it, didn't know how to recover if that bright little flame was taken away from him. So he slept, and moped around, and chain-smoked enough cigarettes to feel the sickly edge of nicotine poisoning, wasted four days feeling sorry for himself, missing Aziraphale fiercely, but unwilling, unable, to do anything about it. On the fifth day, he snapped himself out of it, drank an entire pot of coffee in one sitting, and then proceeded to spend the next 36 hours planning, and worrying, and scrapping his plans, and making new ones, over and over and over, downing coffee as though he needed it to live, until he had finally settled on a script that he thought might just work. He drove to Aziraphale's house, one week after he had last pulled up to that intimidating black gate. He stopped his bike, vacillated for a moment, and then took a few laps around the block, fruitlessly trying to see into the windows from the street, wanting to have some idea of what Aziraphale was doing, what kind of mood he might be in. It would be disastrous to catch him at a bad time, would ruin everything, and Crowley couldn't afford that. He lurked around Haziraphale's block for three days, too anxious to even make it past the front gate, endlessly chastising himself for his cowardice and, frankly, creepy behaviour, but he was just so nervous. After three days he lost his nerve again. If he couldn't figure out the best time to talk to Aziraphale, he wouldn't do it at all. Fucking idiotic, but his brain had made this rule and he wasn't in any sort of state to fight it. It took him another two days to get his courage up and repeat the same cycle over again. He finally managed to muster enough courage to dismount one icy Thursday, the final week before school started up again. He practically ran up to the door, determined to get there before he could change his mind, and knocked twice, immediately twisting both arms behind his back and clutching his fingers together. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. The door opened, a familiar face etching around the frame to look at him.